everybody. Welcome to Northridge. It is so good to see you here this Labor Day weekend. It is gorgeous outside, and I know you've probably got some great plans for right after we're finished here today. Um, but I want to also say a special welcome to any of our friends that are joining us at Talks On Demand. We're really glad that you're here as well. Uh, I get the distinct privilege of finishing out this series that we've been going through the entire summer long called Unforgettable. And uh, our stage crew did an incredible job setting up an incredible set back here. Um, yeah, you can give them a hand. But they did this because in Michigan especially, you know, that there are just unforgettable moments in summer. Moments that will just live on for, you know, forever in your mind. Snapshots that you take that you never want to forget. And we decided as, as a creative team that, you know, there are unforgettable moments in Scripture. And unforgettable truths that if we apply them into our lives and we allow them to really take root, they can blow things up in incredible ways. And so that's what we've been doing is we've heard from some nationally known speakers and some great, great voices uh, on the subject of unforgettable truths. And so I get to finish things out today. Uh, next week, we start with a series called Plus Minus. You do not want to miss this. Brad will be back here doing an incredible work uh, next week. So make sure you're here and make sure you fill the seat that's next to you as well. Well, I want to tell you a story about myself. Um, this is uh, actually a story that I'm not particularly proud of. This is one that was one of my more shameful moments. But uh, I was 13, maybe 14 years old. I can't remember exactly when, but it was right towards the end of middle school, beginning of high school in that area. I decided to take up the, uh, the habit of smoking. Now, if you're a smoker in here, I, I don't want to in any way make you feel judged at all, but I think we can all agree that if you're 13 and then a smoker, that's a really bad idea, all right? But I thought that it was just the coolest thing that I could ever do. It was such a grown-up thing, and it was rebellious and it was independent, and the worst part about it was that, you know, being that I was that old, you're not allowed to buy cigarettes that old, and so I had to steal them in order to smoke them, and so uh, that was even worse. It's like sin squared, you know, one on top of the other. It's just going to blow up and do all kinds of bad things. Well, I just, I thought, you know, my friend and I, Chris, we thought we'd never get caught. We thought this was something we could just hold on to and it would just make us seem that much more grown up and experienced and worldly, you know. And so I remember I'd spent the night at his house one night and uh, we got up in the morning and we walked outside on his back patio through the sliding glass door and uh, to have our morning smoke, which apparently that's what you do. I didn't know that, but I learned that pretty early on. And so, you know, we were sitting out there and we're just kind of... Yeah. You know, so we're having this conversation. I see Chris, you know, he's looking at me, I'm looking at him, and he goes, and just steps on it. I mean, it was just like the most imperceptible thing fell out of his hands. It was like smooth. I had no idea what he was doing. <laughs> but he, I just keep on going. He's like, Josh. I'm like, what is it, dude? It's your mom. I go, what? And he does that thing where his lips aren't really moving. It's like a ventriloquist because he's that afraid. And he goes, your mom is right there. I go, what are you talking about? And he goes, and I look and staring at me through the window is my mom just right there looking at me. And of course, I'm, you know, 13, 14 years old. I'm pretty certain that I can move faster than the speed of light. So I immediately drop the cigarette, step on it, and just kind of start rocking. 
thinking surely she didn't notice. <laughs> the only problem is my lungs were filled with smoke. <laughs> and finally, I just kind of look at her and go, big cloud of smoke comes out, and I realize that's what I'm about to be. <laughs> it's a big cloud of vapor. And my mom's just the most loving and caring lady, and she, she walks out and opens the door and goes, hey, Josh, uh, you probably forgot, but you have a doctor's appointment this morning with your allergist. Why don't you come and get in the car? We'll talk on the way. Chris is just kind of sitting there. She goes to shut the door. She goes, oh, and Chris, I'll be calling your parents tonight. <laughs> He's like, ah! you know, nothing he could do. I just remember the pit of my stomach feeling that I got in that moment when I'd been caught in a grown-up mess up. You know, up until that point, it was always stuff like, you know, you go to your room, you're restricted, you're grounded, but it was like the little, you know, you little rascal kind of sins. This was a darkness that was, it was kind of grown up, and there was a loss of innocence that my mom had seen that was just, I just remember thinking, man, that was my mom, you know? If it had been my dad, you know, it had been a different situation, you know, man to man, it would have, you know, there would have been a confrontation, but it was my mom. It was my mom. And I just remember the shame and the hurt I felt when that darkness and that secret finally became revealed. You know, I think it's, probably honest for us to say that everybody has a dark side. As the song was talking about, we all have something that we keep secret, that we keep hidden, a piece of us, a habit, you know, a, a, a choice that we're making or have made that we would just as soon keep buried and keep secret and keep away from everybody. And so whenever it starts to peek its head around the corner, we shove it back into the, the closet and we shut and lock the door. And if anyone ever starts to discover it, we blame it on someone else or we downplay it or excuse it or rationalize it or dismiss it or we lie about it and we try and cover it up because we really just don't want that thing to come out. We oftentimes will do whatever we can to squirm out of that situation. I think Jimmy Kimmel actually has one of the most relevant examples of this in a clip that he did. It was called uh, Kid Lie Detector. Uh, I'd love for you to check this out. It's important to be honest with kids, but it's even more important that they are honest with us. And that is where Jimmy Kimmel, Lie Detective, goes to work. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. Now, this is the Truth Fairy. The Truth Fairy is going to hook you up to this machine. Go ahead and start doing that. This is called a lie detector. You know what that is? No. A lie detector is a machine that is able to, to know if you're telling the truth or not. Okay? So I'm going to ask you to just tell the truth. Do you like all the other kids at school? A few not. A few not. Who do you have a problem with? Um, once I was playing on the playground, this guy was being really mean to me, so I don't like that guy. His name's Riley. Riley, okay, Riley. All right. Anybody else? Um, no. Nobody else? Do you, um, secretly love Riley? No. A little bit? Just a little bit. A little bit. Okay, okay. Do you ever pick your nose? No. Uh, yes, I did. You did, yeah. yeah. Sometimes, right? Yeah. And then do you ever eat it? No. Oh, uh, yes, I did. Yes, you did? Okay, good. All right. Do you hate puppies? No. 
Do you hate puppies? Yeah. Do you have a girlfriend? No. Hmm. I'm going to ask again. Do you have a girlfriend? No. Are there any girls that you like at school? No. How does that machine know all this stuff? It just knows. It can tell when you're lying because something about your body lets it know. Has any girl ever tried to kiss you at school? A little bit? No! Wow. You're a tough nut to crack. Coconuts crack. I don't crack. <laughs> Coconuts crack. Yeah, Wait, they do. Have you done time? Where did you come from? Uh, you know, you laugh at that because you know you do the same thing. You know, sometimes we'll just say whatever it takes to get out from that awkward moment of confrontation because we just, we don't want to be there. You know, we have this deep-seated fear, as the song helped us understand, that if anyone ever really knew, we have no idea what would happen. If they saw the dark side of us, how would they respond? How would they react? We're afraid of the consequences that they'll just be too much, they'll be too deep, they'll be too hard to bear, that the humiliation and the scandal that might erupt from it will just be too much, that the loss of respect or trust will just be beyond what we can handle or what we can stand. We just don't want the judgment. And so we keep it buried, we keep it down, we keep it secret, and there are things in our lives that we struggle with that no but he else knows about. The problem with that is that those things that the Bible calls sin, that darkness, it has tremendous destructive potential. It has the ability to blow up everything we care about and everyone we love to destroy all our hard work and all the things that we want to accomplish, it has the ability to just destroy and hurt and damage. You don't have to go past the front page of the newspaper to hear about organizations that will never be the same because someone's secret sin finally became a public problem. You can read about Fortune 500 companies that took huge hits and stocks that plummeted because people lost their integrity or decided to go down a path that was very, very dark. Families in your community, in your neighborhood that have been ripped to pieces. Not because someone messed up, but because someone refused to fess up. And we've seen the damage, maybe even in your own life, of situations that you thought you could handle that ended up getting away from you and causing so much pain and so much hurt that you just wish you could have kept secret. That's why it's so important. It is so important for us to see how God deals with these situations and how he calls us to deal with these situations. Because if we don't learn how to manage this, if we don't learn how to move past this, if we don't learn how to navigate this, then it is going to blow up. And when it does, it will take out so many people that we love and care about and want the best for I want to tell you a story out of the Old Testament. It's, uh, it's put into a really interesting place. It's nestled into Joshua 7. 
in the middle of an incredible time in Israel's history. Now, if you don't know Israel, Israel was God's chosen people. Back with Abraham, he promised to make a great nation, and he promised a land to them, and they spent 400 years in slavery and turned into a big nation, and they came out across the desert for 40 years, and they crossed over the Jordan River, and now they're in this place, this land that God had promised them, and they're supposed to take charge of it. They're supposed to come take it by military force. And so they come into this land, and the first le- thing they come to is Jericho. And you, if you've been to Vacation Bible School even once, you probably learned about Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. You remember that song? This is an amazing story in Scripture because you got this ragtag bunch of misfits that know nothing about military conquests that come in, and they march around the city of, of Jericho because God told them to, and they leave, and they march, and they leave, and they march, and they leave. They do that seven times, and on the seventh day, they do it seven times, blow a bunch of trumpets, and the walls fall. And talk about an amazing victory that set the stage for an incredible history-altering conquest. And God told them in this situation, he said, listen, this is my victory, not yours. Obviously, you didn't make the walls fall. Trumpets don't do that, but I do that. And so that was my victory. All the spoils from Jericho go into my storehouse. All the gold, all the silver, all the iron, all the bronze, all the valuable things come into my storehouse because this is a dedication to me. And so they go through this and they move into the next conquest they're supposed to be taking. And that's where we find this little story. It's one chapter long that helps us understand what happens when we choose a darker path. If we start reading in Joshua chapter 7, we learn about a gentleman by the name of Achan. It says, but the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. That means the spoils, so that the Lord's anger burned against Israel. What's interesting to note is that the amount that he took, it tells us in the Bible, if, if you, you know, factor that out, it was about $700 to $1,000 today of gold and silver that he took and hid. It was not a lot compared to the millions that they were able to, to, to capture and take hold of. There's something else I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture because I think it's just brilliant in seeing how we deal with our sin. One man, Achan, was the one that chose to take it, but do you see who the the anger of the Lord burned against? Israel. Doesn't that just seem weird? That the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, not Achan? Well, I think it's a really good picture for us because we like to believe that we can compartmentalize our sin and that in one area of our lives we can be a hot mess and in every other area of our lives we can hold it together and that somehow that can stay over there. What's beautiful in this passage is we see that God doesn't believe that about sin. God doesn't think sin is something you compartmentalize. He thinks it's something like cancer that just spreads and goes and feeds and takes over the whole thing. He wasn't mad at Achan. He was mad at Israel. Because sin was in the camp. Do you think you can be one way at home and another way at work and another way at church and another way at the country club and another way in the community area? You can't. Sin has the ability to creep into every area of our lives. So God chooses to pull back his blessing from Israel. And see what happens is, is they go up to the next city. It's called AI. It's actually spelled AI and it's pronounced AI. I actually had to look that up. <laughs> I'm like, A? Is that it? No. It was AI. And 
They went up to Ai and they sent some spies to look and they saw it was an easy town to conquer. And so Joshua was like, just send two, three, two, three thousand people up there. They'll take care of it. Let's concentrate on the next big one. And so they go up there and they get it handed to them. Israel walks in thinking they're going to own the place and the people of Ai mount a rally and they charge in with, with guns blazing, just ready to take this thing out. I don't think they had guns, but you get the point. And they come out in this thing just ready to take them. And Israel freaks out and 36 people die within minutes. And they freak out. It says that the, in, the, in the Bible that their hearts became like water and they just lost their courage and they lost their, their uh, energy and they just ran. And it says the people of Ai chased them all the way out to the gates and then beyond. And they came back to Joshua saying, Joshua, we don't know what happened. Because see, this wasn't a bunch of battle-ready people. This was a bunch of one-generation-removed slaves. They weren't ready for a battle. The victory had to come from the Lord, or it wasn't going to come at all. And it wasn't that God smote them. It's that God just removed his blessing. And when they went forward in their own power and might, they experienced tremendous setback. And then what we see next is probably just one of the most significant things we can see. Joshua's response. You see, when Joshua was confronted with this news, he ran to God. Joshua 7, 6 says, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, this was a way of showing deep, deep remorse and sorrow. You see, it's a beautiful thing to see that Joshua, when confronted with the sin of his nation, ran to God and not away from him. Can I ask you, when you are confronted with your sin, do you run to him or do you run away? Because that decision by itself has so much to do with what happens next in your life. See, God revealed to Joshua that there was sin in his camp. And Joshua's response as to God's obedience he basically pulled the entire nation of Israel in front of him. And then they cast lots, which, you know, in our day and age may be like rolling dice. It was a random chance type of thing that the Lord would often use to direct people's paths. And they figured out that it was the tribe of Judah. And out of the tribe of Judah, it was this guy's clan. And out of this guy's clan, it was this guy's family. And out of this guy's family, it was this guy, Achan. And so they pulled Achan forward and said, Achan, what did you do? And only when finally forced with no other opportunity but to come clean, he says, I messed up. I took some of the gold and some of the silver. It's hidden underneath my tent in the earth. So they get this gold and this silver and they bring it back and they take that and Achan, his family, and his livestock and they dispatch it. They destroy it. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, whoa, <laughs> wow, that seems a little extreme, doesn't it? Doesn't sound very, you know, very welcoming or friendly. But it's a picture for us to understand that when God reveals sin in our lives, he doesn't want us to just talk about it. He doesn't want us just to, to, to sit in it. He wants us to get out a scalpel and cut it out and remove it. Get it out of our lives so that it no longer has power or dominion or mastery over us. He says, get rid of it because there's sin in your camp and it has to be dealt with. God brings his blessing back to them and they go back up to Ai and just totally decimate it. And they continue on with their triumph. But we see in this one little moment what sin can do when one is on the path that God has put them in front of. How it can totally derail things and how it can 
shift things into places we never wanted it to go. There's a few fundamental truths we need to learn about sin, we need to understand about sin, that we can pull from this passage and other passages out of the Old and New Testament. And the first is this, sin, no matter how small, can obstruct God's blessing in our lives. Psalm 89, 30 and 33 says, if his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commandments, I will punish their sin with the rod, their iniquity with flogging, but, and This is a huge but. I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. Jeremiah 5.25 says, your wrongdoings have kept these away. Your sins have deprived you of good. See, God is just sitting there ready to bless. But we hold on to darkness And it's not that God can't bless in spite of our darkness, it's that he often won't. When we approach God and say, God, please bless my marriage, you know, my wife or my husband, please bless our relationship, and yet you are flirting with disaster with your secretary or your boss or your coworker or your friend, and you are getting way too emotionally intimate with that person, it's like asking God, God, can you bless my family over there? God, can you bless my husband or wife over there? God, and we keep creeping away and away and away. We ask God, please, God, could you just bless my finances? God, you've seen my house, you've seen my car, and you've seen my tastes at Pottery Barn. Please, God, reconcile my soul. But yet, we buy a bunch of things we can't afford and don't have money for and choose to go into debt, into bondage. We limit our capability to be generous, to give, to save. In one hand, we're saying, God, please bless me. In the other, we are just blocking him from being able to do it. If in one hand, you're asking God to bless your kids, and in the other hand, you aren't spending time with them, or when you do, you're tearing them down, there is a disconnect. God has given us his word. He's given us a game plan. He has in his infinite grace laid out his law so that we don't have to stumble around in the darkness, that it can be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path so that we know what it looks like to, to love our wives, to respect our husbands. We know what it looks like to honor and to, 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 to raise our children up. Children, we know what it looks like to honor and obey our parents. We get these pictures. And if we're choosing not to do that, then why would we ask God for some supernatural blessing above it? when we're not even taking the blessing of Scripture. Sin, no matter how small, can block God's blessings in our lives. we got to get rid of it. The second thing we need to understand and realize is that sin, no matter how secret, is obvious to God. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this down. Sin, no matter how secret, is obvious to God. I want to share with you one of the scariest verses in all of Scripture. It's found in Hebrews 4.13. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Did you, did you hear that? Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything will be laid bare to him to whom we must give account. If that doesn't sober you. Maybe you don't get it. Let's, let's talk about it in a different way. I think many of us, 
like to look at our sin like this. Everybody knows we have it. Nobody knows what it is. We like to keep it that way, don't we? We'll walk into those relationships where we're supposed to be accountable to someone or where we have a close relationship where we're supposed to be able to be honest and transparent and authentic. We'll walk into our small group or we'll walk into, you know, this partnership with someone that we have have leaned into. And they'll look at it and they'll go, hey, uh, you got some sin there? We'll go, me? Oh, you mean this? Yeah, um, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I got a little bit of sin. You go, man, that looks heavy this week. Yeah, it's kind of been a tough week. Do you want to unpack it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah, let's let's unpack it. Okay, that's cool. Um, All right, let's see. All right, well, uh, no, not that one. (laughs) Um, Not this audience. Okay, uh, ah, here we go. This one's good. Yeah, I was out in the garage the other night, and I was all by myself, so it's not a real big deal, but I stubbed my toe on the the lawnmower, and uh, yeah, I said it. I feel horrible. God forgive me. Man, that was great to get it off my chest. Whew, feel much better now. Your turn. What do you got? And we actually think in our naivety that they go, oh, wow, man, he must just be such a holy person. I wish I could be like that guy. First off, they don't. They're like, right. But we actually take that far enough to think that maybe we can pull one over on God. And we're not stupid enough or foolish enough to think that God doesn't know we have sin, but there are parts of us that think he doesn't see the details, that maybe it's just one big black bag, and he's sitting there going, I know there's something in there, but I wonder what he's up to. This verse clarifies what it looks like for God to look upon our sin. And it's not a beautiful picture. It's more like this. God grabs a table. He puts it down. He says, all right, let's have a conversation. We need to pull some of this stuff out. We're going to take a look. We're going to deal with it. Because this is stuff that we need to talk about. So uh, you want to unpack your sin? Let's unpack your sin. Because I'm going to lay it out here bare and totally, completely exposed. This is the thing. He's going to look at it and he's going to say, hey, can we have a conversation? Yeah, I know, uh, I know you said that word in the garage. I'm not really worried about that at all. I'm a little more concerned with the way you spoke to your husband or your wife the other day. I'm really kind of frustrated with the anger that you lashed out at your kid, my kid, that was completely inappropriate. You lost your temper and you never owned up to it. We need to talk about that. Says, you know, I know that I created this glorious goodness, but I created it to sustain you, and I created it so that you could eat when you were hungry, not so that you could eat when you were sad. And I know that you turned to this to fill a need that I'm supposed to fill. You turn to this to fill a pleasure that I'm supposed to fill. And you don't stop eating when you're not hungry and it has become a problem. And we need to talk about it. 
says, you know, I know you think you're like the most savvy guy on the computer and you know how to erase all your, your cash and your cookies and your history and so you think nobody sees what you're doing every day when no one else is around, but I see it and I'm concerned. You think it doesn't hurt anybody, it hurts me. He says, I see the way you look at your neighbors. How's it going? Stop picking your nose. Just kidding. It says, I see the way you look at your neighbors. You see their car, you see their house, you see their clothing, and you want it, and you feel like you're entitled to it, and you have the nerve to get angry at me that I'm not giving you enough to provide that, and you're not content with what I've already given you. We need to talk. It says, I see the conversations you have on your phone. Well, not this phone. No one has this phone. But it says, I see the conversations that you have. I see the texting that you're doing with that guy or that girl that's not your husband or wife. I see that, and I see where it's going. And I know you think you've got it covered from everyone, every angle, but you don't. You know? He says, I know I created this, and in the right situation or circumstance, it's not altogether a problem, but you need to know something. You have made it a problem. That drink you used to have just at a party now and again to loosen you up has turned into two or three, and once a week turned into once a night, turned into three a night, turned into I just need to have one in the morning to get me going, turned into I just need to have a couple at lunch just to keep me going, turned into I just need to lie about where the money's going so that I can keep this habit up because it has mastered me. God says, you know what, we need to talk because there's nothing that should master you. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. It's all open and exposed to him to whom we must give account. The last thing we need to understand is that sin, no matter how well hidden, will eventually be revealed. It just will. Scripture tells us in Numbers 32, 23, when God is talking about his law, he says, if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord, and you may be sure. Here's a really quick tip. Anytime God says you may be sure, be sure. He says you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Luke 12, 2 through 3 says, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. He says, make no mistake, you may think you have this hidden from everybody, but first off, I see it, and guess what? Eventually everyone else will too. You think that you can hide your financial indiscretions, you think you can hide the lack of sexual integrity. You think you can hide the way that you're gambling with other people's futures. You think you can hide these things and you're right, you're doing a great job but there is gonna come a day, there's gonna come a time when you will give account in this life or the next. It's coming. And how much greater it is when someone comes forward with the truth than when they are confronted with it. We need to be sure that our sin will find us out. 
See, there's teenagers in this room right now that are holding on to a secret because they are so afraid of the trust they will lose, the consequences they'll face, the way they'll hurt their family. You gotta realize that's like dynamite buried in a foundation. You can go ahead and bury it deep down in there, but when it blows up, it's gonna blow up everything that it's built on. But what we don't seem to understand is that the more we build on top of it, the more that's gonna come crashing down when it finally blows up. The sooner we confront the problem, the sooner we come clean, the sooner we reveal it, the less it's going to do. I remember when my mom finally got me in the car. What I wish I would have experienced would have been yelling and screaming and threatening and restricting and taking away privileges. And what I experienced was a mom whose heart was broken. That her little boy had made such a despicable decision at that age had done something so destructive and so betraying to her. And I remember it was just for a little bit, but she actually started to question her parenting. My mom, who's the best parent I've ever known in the face of the planet, questioned her parenting skills because I was an idiot. And that's what I wanted to tell her. I wanted to say, Mom, it wasn't you. I'm in middle school. I'm brain damaged. You know, everything ain't working right no more. Please do not blame yourself. But I hurt my mom in a deep way. Because sin has the ability to do that. Maybe you're covering something up at work. And you're so afraid that when it comes out, the consequences are going to be more than you can handle. But you need to understand it's going to blow up. The longer you wait, the more it's going to hurt. Husbands, wives, there's that relationship that has started to go way too emotional and you haven't crossed any, any physical boundaries yet, but it's getting there and it's time for you to come clean. It's time for you to reveal that to, to someone that can help you fight it and get out of it. Sin, no matter how well hidden, will eventually be revealed. It may be little and private now, but it's going to be big and public later. So how do we deal with this? What is God's method? What is God's desire for us to go forward in from this place today? I think we can learn from 1 John chapter 1 some really great tools that we can use. And the first is this. We need to take responsibility. We need to take responsibility. 1 John 1, 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we're sitting around saying, you know what, it was his fault, it was her problem, it was the family I came from, it was the circumstances I was in, it was my friends, then we are saying, well, it wasn't my sin, it was someone else's and the truth isn't in us. We can't not take responsibility. We need to stand up, be men and women of integrity and say, yes, it was me, it was my fault, it was my choice, I decided and I bear the weight of this failure. There's such healing Simply in that. And then the next verse right after that one is such a beautiful picture of God. Because he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We need to ask forgiveness. 
You see, when we take responsibility and we go to God and say, God, I messed up, I get it, I take responsibility, it's my fault. You know what God does? God says, I'm faithful, I'm just, I forgive you of your sins and I cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And what we need to understand is, is that God isn't just about wordplay. God sent his son Jesus to give himself the power to actually forgive us. You see, we don't understand this all the time, but our sins have consequences beyond what we see here on earth. They actually separate us from this love relationship that we were born to have with God. And if we choose to die with that separation, we will spend eternity separated from him. But in all his love for us, he sent Jesus to pay the penalty. Jesus came to this earth, lived a sinless and perfect life so that we could all see what it looks like. And then he died on a cross, a gruesome and horrible death to pay the penalty, not just for, our, for the sins of the people around him, but for the sins of the world. And then he defeated death and rose from the dead so that we could have new life and no longer be under the power of sin and death to the glory of God. And I need to ask you today, have you made that decision? Have you accepted that gift that God has given you? Because if you haven't, this is the time and here is the place. I want to invite you really quickly to bow your heads and to close your eyes. Because for some sitting in this room or watching us that talks on demand, it's time for you to take responsibility and to ask God for forgiveness, knowing in faith that he will forgive and cleanse. It's such a simple thing to do. It's not always easy, but it is simple. We're gonna pray together and just understand it's not any magic words we're gonna say, but it's whether or not you believe it in your heart. You can say, God, I realize I've messed up. And later you and me should go through these things one by one and talk about them. But right now, I'm just asking you to forgive me, to cleanse me. I'm acknowledging that I can't do it on my own and I need you. Please come into my life. I'm inviting you. Forgive me of my sins and cleanse me. I want to be whole and I want to be right with you. Thank you, God. Amen. Now, before we finish out, I got two more things I want to share with you. These are things that are pivotal to moving forward. But if you made the decision to trust Jesus today, if you're sitting right here, we've given you a program and in it is a connection card, you can pull this thing off Down at the bottom, there's a box that says, today I prayed to receive Jesus. You can hand this to any of our ushers, put it in any of the brown boxes, or go out to the guest services. If you're watching us at Talks On Demand, right up here, there's a button that says, what's next? You can click it, and it will tell you everything you need to know. But we'll send you some information. We'll get you set up for this journey. We're gonna tell you all about Starting Point. It's an incredible opportunity for you to connect or reconnect with God. Those are the first two things we gotta do. Without it, we got nothing. And for some of us, that forgiveness that we need to ask isn't just to God, it's to the person we sinned against. And we need to go to that person with our hat in our hand and with humility, taking full responsibility, say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And I can't vouch for what they'll do in that situation. I know what God does, but we can't say what they'll do. But you can know that you have done right by asking for that forgiveness. Third thing we need to do is we need to choose to live differently. We need to choose to live differently. 
1 John 1, 6 through 7, these are the two verses right before the ones we just read. It says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You see, it's not a wise thing for us to ask forgiveness and then continue into the same patterns that led us down that destructive path in the first place. We need instead to choose a new path, a new set of habits, a new set of patterns for us to move forward in so that we can be different today than we were yesterday. And for some of us, that means putting margin between us and that person or that situation or that circumstance. Or maybe it's putting roadblocks in place that make it tremendously difficult to continue going down that road. Maybe it's this last thing. And I'll tell you what, this is pivotal to anyone that wants to move out of a darkness and a pattern of destruction, is you need to find accountability. Man, that's a, that's a dirty word in today's culture. We don't want to be accountable to anyone. We just want to be responsible and accountable to ourselves. But that doesn't work. We need people to look into our lives and ask us those tremendously difficult questions that we don't want to answer. We need to have someone that we can sit and squirm with while they ask us those things. And then to hold us accountable to the decisions that we make. For some of you in this room today, the best place for you to land is going to be on Monday night. Not this Monday night because it's Labor Day, but next Monday night right here in Northridge. We have support and recovery groups that help people handle some of the most difficult things in life whether it's overeating, whether it's substance abuse, whether it's sexual integrity. We've got some incredible groups of people. And these aren't people that sit around and point fingers at each other and that are holier than thou. But these are people that say, I'm broken. You're broken. I don't want to be this way anymore. You don't want to be this way anymore. So let's not be this way anymore together. And you hold me accountable. I'll hold you accountable. And when I see you stepping out, I am going to confront you. And I'm going to say the difficult things that might make you not like me for a time, but might save you for a season. And I'm going to be there when you're struggling and when you're tempted. For some of you, you're, you're stuck in a situation that it's not a sin, but it's wearing you down and wearing down your defenses so that it's leading you towards sin. And we got support groups for you. Maybe you're caring for an elderly parent or maybe you, you're, you've got someone in your family or you that's struggling with cancer. And that's a tremendously difficult thing to deal with. And that obviously by itself is not a sin in any way, but it starts wearing you down and your patience starts to fade and you find anger building up, and you just need people that know what you're going through. We got a a place for that. Maybe it's your small group, maybe not. But it needs to be someone you can trust. What I'm not saying is I'm not saying to go home and post on Facebook all your deepest, darkest secrets. I'm not saying to get up here and be like, everybody, before you leave, I just got a list of sins I need to clarify. That's just gonna hurt everybody. But you need to find people you can trust to be accountable to. You need to ask forgiveness from those that you've hurt. You need to choose to live differently and you gotta take responsibility. In doing these things, we realize a hope and a healing that we could never get on our own. A final point to think about is this. When we try to cover sin, God exposes it. But when we expose sin, God always covers it. 
You see, we try and cover it up, but God's going to expose it. But if we expose it, God covers it. And when that happens, beautiful things happen. Can you imagine what it would look like in your workplace if the Christians were known not as pompous or arrogant or judgmental or bigoted or closed-minded, but as broken and knowing that they're broken, but choosing a different path toward healing and hope because their heavenly Father provided a way? Can you imagine the testimony that that would be? Can you imagine in your community if husbands and wives humbled themselves and recognized the darkness and dealt with it when it was small before it blew up everything? Can you imagine what it would look like in your life personally if this was the way you dealt with that thing? Because if there is something in your life that no one else knows about, that is a dangerous place to be. And I challenge you today to leave this place with something in your head that you need to deal with. I challenge you to take responsibility for that, to ask God for forgiveness and then approach the person that needs it, and then to find a different path and somebody or somebody's to help you do that. And when you do, I promise, God is going to start doing some tremendously impacting things in your life and in the lives of those you have influence over, and he will get the glory. Hope you have a great Labor Day weekend. Thanks for coming.